attention tonight to just a passage of scripture. Um, It's from the Bible, which is always a good thing, and it's John chapter 8, and it's just verses 1 to 11, a story that you no doubt have read if you've kind of read the Bible for more than a year. You've probably read this story. It's a great story, and it's just talking about Jesus' interaction with a group of people, and uh, one particular person, but then a group of people. And uh, this is what happens. You know, when we read the Bible, these are not just stories that are fairy tales or fables or, or just maybe happen. They're real things that happen in life. Okay? So um, John chapter 8, 1 to 11, says this. It says, um, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And then it changes real quick from verse 1 to verse 2. It changes real quick. Because it goes, he went to the Mount of Olives, obviously spent the night possibly on the Mount of Olives, just outside of Jerusalem. And then in verse 2, so now, now early in the morning, so it kind of changes time zones from probably late at night to early morning. Now early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery And when they'd set her in the midst, they said to him, Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that we should, uh, us that should, such should be stoned. What what do you say? And then they said, testing him. uh, Sorry, this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without what? Sin among you, throw, uh, throw the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Uh, then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went, went out one by one, went out of the temple one by one, that is, beginning with the oldest person, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing Uh, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Um, And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go in, what? Sin no more. Can can you appreciate the scene this story unfolds? You know, Jesus is teaching in the temple. There's a crowd of people there. You know, and, and... and the Pharisees dr- literally drag this woman in or bring her in and throw her before the church. And, you know, you can appreciate that's the last place you want to be for everybody to know what you've done wrong. Would anybody volunteer tonight? Like, <laughs> you know, we've all... So this is not a healthy scene for this woman. But you know what? Jesus turned it around. And if there's one thing about this story that just has gripped me, always gripped me, this is the most comprehensive story, I think, in the whole of the Bible, well, certainly the New Testament, that talks about this wonderful thing called grace. We mentioned it tonight. Arlene mentioned it tonight. Grace. Because Jesus... Um, out of all the instances and stories that he's been involved in and all the things that happened in the New Testament with Jesus, this one story would, would, would give us an incredible example, an incredible insight into what grace really is because it's easy for me to say tonight, tonight grace is the unmerited favor of God. That's the, that's the standard answer, which it is. 
It's God's unconditional love towards us. It's God's taking our place through his son, Jesus Christ, when Jesus you know, hung on a cross, took our sin. It, it, I was just contemplating, and I came, I, I, I must admit, I just thought of this story, incident that happened to me. Um, it happened actually last, um, it would have been um, September, October last year, when Winter is finished and spring is happening. Not that we kind of have a great differences in seasons in Gladstone, but it was the time when birds lay their eggs and all that type of thing happens, you know. So it was that spring season. And I went for a run um, early one morning from my place out along, you know, um, out towards um, Kirkwood Road. And, uh, and as I was running along, I was about... Uh, K and a half into my run. I was going to do an 8K run. And, and as I'm running along, I, I noticed a dog had got out of his um, yard um, and, he, and he started to run towards me. And it was one of those bull mastiff terriers. You know what the heads look like elephants? And I wasn't quite sure whether he was going to bite me or lick me. Uh, and I thought, and thankfully, he was friendly. <laughs> so, so he started to run, run alongside me. And I thought, oh, that's nice. I wonder how long this is going to last. And as I'm running along, he, he joined me, as I said, about the K and a half mark. And you wouldn't believe it, another 400 meters. And being the, the, the season when birds lay eggs, there was a couple plovers that decided that they were going to, they're flying around. They, they, I don't know if you know plovers. They lay their eggs on the ground. How dumb is that? And so... They, and they'll attack. They've got little spurs on their legs. Who's ever been attacked by a plover? Just three or four or five. Anyway, so I'm running along, and, 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 and not long after this dog joins me, these plovers are whirling around. I'm coming, I'm approaching, and, and because I've run this before, I know, oh, <laughs> I, I've been attacked by them before. I thought, oh, no, here goes. I don't enjoy this. And they don't just, there's not just one of them, not like a magpie, just one magpie. There's two of them dive-bombing you. And so as I'm running closer and closer, I'm, I'm preparing myself to be attacked by these plovers. And wouldn't you believe it, this dog runs ahead of me, and guess what? The plovers attack him instead of me. I thought, well, that's a good, that's a good day. And, you know, I'm waiting for them to get, you know, I'm waiting for them. Uh, you know, he couldn't care less. He's just jogging along and they're dive bombing him literally inches from, the, from his head. He couldn't care. And all the way for the next 150 meters, he takes the attack for me. And I run past them to my destination at the 4K mark. And I turn around and he runs all the way with me. As I turn around, this silly dog, all of a sudden, he's not there. He's gone somewhere else out into the bush to go and sniff something. And I thought, I need you because I'm going to have to face the plovers again because I'm doing the same route back. And I run another two or three K and I thought, oh, well, I'm just going to face him alone. And wouldn't you believe it, as I get 500 meters from the plovers, this dog turns up and runs out in front of me. This is true runs out in front of me, the birds attack him, I just keep on running, they don't come near me, and another 100 metres after the plovers, he goes back and enters his own yard, and that's the end of him, and I take the run home, and I thought, God, what was that all about? You know, you ever had a moment, and you think, what is that all about? And you're, all I can say is this, maybe he just wanted me to share that that's exactly what the grace of God is like. That we go through life... And what we deserve, we don't get sometimes because of the incredible mercy and forgiveness and kindness of God. 
we're just kind of walking, jogging through life, doing what we should do, and, and we're not trying to disturb anything, and something happens, goes bad, turns sour, whatever it may be, and something looks like it's, it's, it's a dark cloud on the horizon, but you know what? Jesus can come along and he takes it for us, and that's what he certainly did on the cross. And if there's ever a picture of the unmerited, and the, uh, you know, I didn't deserve my friend, the dog, but I got him. And you know what? I want to, I want to share how unique that is. I've never had him since. And I've been running for five years the same route. That one day, at that one moment, when I just needed a friend, he was there. I, I think that's what grace is. That's what Jesus' grace is like. It's incredible. And the story that we've read tonight in John chapter um, 8 is an incredible picture of grace. And there's just... I want to give you four things of how grace works because I'm not quite sure if you really, you know, I'm not sure if, if you understand tonight exactly, but there's a, it depicts how grace works. And I love the, the, these principles out of this passage of John 8 and what Jesus does and how he handles not only the Pharisees and the scribes who wanted this woman stoned, but how he handles the woman herself who'd actually been caught in adultery. You know, you've got to appreciate she has been involved in something that's not good. So, as we look at this passage in verse 2, Jesus, first thing about, number one, Jesus, it says, was at the temple early. Okay, being on the Mount of Olives, maybe talking to his father, praying, but he comes to the temple early. Uh, and as I think about that, Jesus, he wasn't on the payroll. He wasn't, he wasn't being paid. He didn't come to the temple to get a cut of the offerings that were made that week. No, he didn't get any finance. He didn't get any, He wasn't, but he got there early, and he didn't have to be there on the early shift, but he chose to be there because you know why? He loves people, and he wanted to teach them. He wanted to help them. And, he, you know, and I'm glad that we serve a God, or we serve a Jesus that's not some mystic sat on a mountain. People come to him and ask him for some great wisdom. He doesn't know. Jesus came amongst us, didn't he? He, he comes and sits amongst us. He came, to, he came down to the level of the people in the place of the people to help the people and to teach the people. And, and it was all about us. And he demonstrates the heart of God towards us. If you ever wanted to know what you think, what's God like? You've just got to look what Jesus is like. And that's what God's like. And so we see, you know, God demonstrates his love towards us through Jesus Christ. And so you, you'll notice it says that Jesus came. It says in Scripture, it says Jesus came again. Why did John include that in the verse? Jesus came again. And here's my first point. It's because Jesus is always patient with us again and again and again and again. He's always forgiving again and again and again. It actually says his mercies are new every year. No, no, come on, correct me. And you every morning, every 24-hour period. He's again, Jesus. We, and that's because we need him again. Um, you know, that means Jesus has been, he's been there in the temple probably many times before. He's been teaching them. And maybe he's taught them the, the same things. And I'm just so grateful for God who comes again to teach me or to give me grace or to give me time and he's patient with me. What's God like with you? You know, God doesn't throw his hands in the air after I blow it again. And he says, well, you know, get out of it. You know, we don't, 
you failed again, you know, three strikes and you're out, and that's the third strike, see you later, I'm not giving you any more grace, I'm not giving you any more love. He never does that, and it's incredible Jesus we serve. He comes again to the temple, he gets there early because he wants to be there because he knows people constantly need grace and mercy and forgiveness, and don't we all need that? And that, folks, is grace. Patience, he comes again into our lives, again and again. He doesn't give up on us. He comes again to help us. He knows that we're, uh, that, you know, again, uh, you know, as human as we are. And I love that verse. It says, in our weakness, we can know his strength. And that's the grace of God. We need his strength because our weakness often needs, he's an again and again type of saviour. Um, you might think, well, I could just go and do what I want to do and come to God and ask for forgiveness and repent and he'll forgive me. And I, and I can just go and do what I want again next week and come. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll explain something to you soon about that. No, it doesn't work like that. But I tell you what, he's always willing to embrace us when there's a sincere heart and there's a repentant and loving heart. So my first thought is simply this, that he's a savior that comes again. In the temple, obviously, he'd been there morning after morning teaching the people for a season in Jerusalem. And uh, he didn't get anything out of it, but he just wanted to be amongst the people. Here's, another, here's the second point I want to make tonight. Verse 3 it says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Uh, she's caught in the act of adultery. This is, uh, this is not some bit of gossip. This is an actual reality. Um, you know, this lady was caught red-handed, involved sexually with a married man. That's what adultery means. Um, and so Jesus, uh, and, and they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. They, uh, out of all the things that the scribes and Pharisees didn't get right, they didn't get this wrong. It was a reality. They went in uh, and literally dragged her from wherever she was. <laughs> maybe a bedroom, and, and took her straight to the um, temple. Um, let's think about that for a moment. And I, I kind of mentioned before, somewhere in being dragged um, to Jesus, she must have thought, this is not going to be a good day. I just want the ground to open up and swallow me. And uh, when you've been dragged, caught in the act, and the last place you want to be is dragged into church and made to confess um, your sins told to everybody in front of church, that's not the best thing to happen in your day. Would you agree? That'd be incredibly shameful, incredibly grieving. Um, the verse 6 says, it's really good because it says, Jesus stooped down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Jesus stooped down. And the second point that I want to make tonight is that I see a God who shows us his grace in that the way that he stoops to side with us. He comes alongside us. He, and, and literally, as he got down on that level, he, 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 he put himself there beside that woman. And, you know, history kind of shows us that there's preachers who offer a pathway to God uh, and many religions that offer a kind of pathway to some God or their God, Jesus is different. He's, he, he says he took on a humble position of a servant. Jesus doesn't, didn't cling to his divine privilege as God, but he came to earth and he didn't try and stand over us, but he took on a humble position of a human and he stooped and he related and communicated while still being totally God. He was totally man. And that's the kind of God, that's the grace. There's no other religion in the world, folks, like that. 
where the, the, the leader of that religion or that belief actually comes and identifies with humanity and becomes all that man is and faces all that man is while still never leaving his divinity or his godliness or his godlikeness. And that was God, Jesus wasn't just godlike, he was God. He didn't leave that alone, he didn't abandon that, but he became, he stooped down as he stooped beside this woman. And the crowd, and Jesus stoops down and the crowd says, stone her. And Jesus' response at first was just to write in the dirt and say something. Who'll know what he wrote in the dirt? Someone once said maybe he wrote all the sins of the Pharisees and scribes who were standing there wanting to stone the woman. Maybe he wrote, you know, maybe he wrote their names, you know, Nicodemus, stealing. I don't know. I'm only guessing, but... I don't know. But the reality is, is that he just stooped down beside. Verse 7 says they continued to ask him. They continued to press him for answers. And they wanted blood. And they were ready to throw stones. And Jesus says nothing. Though Jesus is righteous, listen to this, he lowers himself to the place of the guilty and puts himself in harm's way to speak. So to speak, for if anyone did throw a stone, he was in the firing line as well. He lowers himself to the place of the guilty. I'm guilty. You're guilty. That's the grace of God. Jesus lowers himself. And Jesus um, is, you know, Jesus is silent, not because he approves of the sin. Okay, sometimes we can think, oh, well, is, um, what's happening here? Did Jesus approve? Not because he, but his mission was to absorb our sin. That's Jesus. Jesus came to absorb our guilt, our shame, while preserving the guilty. That's us. Preserving us and absorbing the guilt. The only way for him to do that was for him to side with the guilty and not retaliate back. Because, and you might ask, why was that? Because Jesus, throughout his life, he was pointing us to the incredible picture of grace. His grace and love for us. So not only does he come again and again in patience and love us, but he stoops to side with us and, st- and, and be there with us in the midst of our guilt. Here's another thing. How do we see God shows us his grace? He not only stoops to side with us, but he stands to defend us. See, it's an act of grace. He defends the woman. And, and what Jesus does for this woman, Jesus does for you and me. He stands to defend us. When we've come and we've laid our heart bare before God and say, God, I'm sorry, failed, I repented this and I turned to you. Jesus says, that's okay, I'm going to defend you against everybody who wants to speak lies against you or come and pull you down. I, I love it. After stooping to side, he doesn't tell the woman to get up and defend herself. Jesus stands up and he defends her. And isn't, that Jesus, isn't it that Jesus... Um, just what Jesus does for us as well. He defends us. The Bible says that Jesus now stands before the Father and makes intercession for us. Okay? I'm talking about now. Jesus isn't on the earth, obviously, but he goes to heaven and he defends us. Before God, he defends us. When we repent, he defends us. He says, God, you know, the sins are forgiven. He, he stands as someone who wants to defend us. Not to, and God doesn't condemn us, but he forgives us because of Jesus' testimony about us. What grace is that? There's a great verse, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. I think it'll be on the screen there. But my little children, these things I write to you. This is to us. John writes to us. He says that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's a big word, advocate. 
What, do you, what happens if someone advocates for you? I, was, um, I went to a youth camp. I was about, um, I think I might have been 19 years of age. It was at Harvey Bay called Beth Shan. Some of you may remember that youth camp. And uh, I turned up there. It was a week-long camp in the school holidays. And I turned up there uh, not really knowing anybody. I just wanted to go to youth camp because, um, you know, they had some great speakers and it was great fun and you met other people. And so I turned up there and, and there was all these dormitory styles and there was about eight bunks in each little room. And I just kind of just landed there uh, um, and put my stuff in one of the rooms and, you know, and didn't think about it. I didn't know who was in that room with me. Um, the next day, um, um, I found out that the guys who were in the same little room as me, there was about five of them, um, were actually at camp because they just wanted to muck up. They were at camp because they just wanted to have a good time, and they, that, that first night they'd gone and done something wrong. And so, I mean, to me, they were quite nice guys. So we are all kind of laying on our bunks in our room that morning, um, just after breakfast, and the camp convener or the coordinator of the camp comes into the room. He doesn't knock. He comes in. He is on a mission. And so he starts to bail every guy up in that room, including myself. And I'm like a bit stunned. What is he talking about? I didn't have an opportunity to say anything, like, you know, but he just gave it to us. And, and understandably, he was upset because these guys had done something not very nice that particular night. Some prank they'd pulled on someone and, it, you know, it had upset and it hurt someone. And anyway, he just gave it to us. And before I could say anything to him, he just walked out. And I'm left there, and I'm feeling, I didn't say too much, but I'm thinking, I don't even know what he was talking about, and I wasn't involved with these guys. Now, to the credit of these guys, within an hour, the leader of these five guys had gone to the camp coordinator and said, you were right to bail us out, but you need to know that there was a guy in that dorm room that had nothing to do with it, blah, 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 and told him who he was. And, and, I was just, and if you want to know what an advocate does for you, that's what an advocate does. They go and tell the truth. And they say, hey, I'm just, they stand up for you. They, they, that's what Jesus Christ does. Because it's not like, if you look at the metaphor of the story, I, I was one of the guys who mucked up as well, if we take the metaphor to what, I'm the one who sinned as well. But Jesus, when, he, when we repent, Jesus comes before God and says, God, you need to know they're clean. They didn't do anything wrong. They're righteous because of my blood, God. I shed my blood for the forgiveness of sin. So, God, you need to know that I'm just into, I'm tell, telling you now. They're right. They've got nothing. Their past is finished. It's forgiven. It's, and that's what Jesus does. That's an advocate. And always remember these young guys who are my advocate. And and. Later that day, the camp coordinator came to me, and he said, sorry. Um, and, and I didn't particularly, I wasn't particularly, ups, you know, offended or upset by him. I understood the situation, uh, you know, and we had a chat, and it was all cool, and we had a great camp. In actual fact, these five guys, within two nights, were at the front, kneeling at the front, weeping before God, and God was touching their lives. And I thought, well, it was worth it. It was worth it. But, um, you know, if you're wondering... That's what Jesus does for us. He stands in our place and says, hey. And unlike my story where I hadn't done anything wrong, we all have. I have, really. And Jesus, because we ask for forgiveness, he, re- he sees us as clean. Um, Satan will try to accuse you, folks. 
Oh, this is your past. This is what you did. You'll never be free. Or, or even your own mind will accuse you of your past. But Jesus is our advocate. And once we ask for forgiveness, we need to know that it's finished with, it's dealt with, as far as the east is from the west. Amen. And um, it's thrown into the sea of forgetfulness, all our sins. And, and someone once said, don't go fishing for it anymore. And that's what we need to do. Here's the last thing about this story. Um, Jesus not only, you know, stoops down to side with us. He not only stands to defend us, but Jesus stoops down again to stay with the lady, to stay with her. Okay, so you can picture the scene. The guy said, all the Pharisees said, stoner. Jesus stands up and says, he was without sin, throw the first stone. Jesus hops down again, um, stoops down beside her to, you know, to identify with her. And one by one, it says the Pharisees and the scribes leave. And it's interesting, how long did it take for them to leave? Maybe it took five minutes, maybe it took 20 minutes, maybe it took an hour for all of them to realize that they were just as bad as this woman because they've all done something wrong. You know, that's the trouble with judgment. Judgment's not wrong, but judgment where you think you're better than other people, that's wrong. That's the trouble with judgment. But judgment when you realize you're just as bad as everybody else, that's, that's, that's identifying with other people and making calls. And so these men realized that finally that they were just as bad and, you know, I think about what Jesus stooped and he stayed with her. He stayed with her. Um, and, you know, I, I like this point because how long did Jesus stay with the lady? Well, as long as it took. And I don't think the point is how long Jesus stayed with her, but the point is that he did stay with the lady. And I want to tell you, he stays with us. The Bible says he'll never leave us nor what? Forsake us. <laughs> Incredible. And that's the great news, that, we have an adv- that he advocated for this lady. He, he didn't say, oh, well, I've given you grace to be forgiven. Now you go and work it out and rest for yourself. And now he says, I'll stay with you till every accuser is gone. And maybe you're here tonight and there's, a, and, and there's um, voices or temptations or accusers on your life. And I want to tell you, you just need to draw near to him because he is there. He says, I can, I can defend you. The shield of faith, I can, we can hold up together and deflect those accusations. And that's what grace is. It's not the fact that he is with us at our lowest points, but it's the fact that he stays with us at every point of our lives. Okay? He's just not there. In the bat- He's there at every point of our life. And the Bible actually puts it this way. As I said, never leave you nor forsake you. And I'm glad the verse doesn't come with the condition of staying sin-free. As long as you're sin-free, I'll stay with you. But as long as you sin, I'm, I'm out of here. No, no, no. Does that mean that he um, uh, accepts our sin? No, 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 he doesn't. He hates our sin. You know why? Because it separates us from him. It's this wall that we put up. That sin just puts a wall up. It separates us. And the very heart of God is not to be separated from humanity. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the greatest, when they sinned, the greatest heartache to God was separation from Adam and Eve. No relationship could be established. That's why they called Jesus when he was brought into this world as a baby, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. (laughs) Not God separate from us. Not God in a high and mighty lofty mountain. No, no, not some guru. No, God with us. And, and so Jesus, I'm glad it doesn't, he doesn't uh, 
He stays with us. And grace is Jesus dying on the Christ. Grace is his saving love for the whole journey of life. And the same grace that saved you is the same grace that sustains you. His care for us. And grace is not just for the new convert, but grace is for every Christian continually today. Everything. I love the fact that Jesus, when he, finally everybody's left, it's just him and the woman. And, and he says to the woman, he says, you know, uh, where are your accusers? And she says, um, I don't know. No one's here to accuse me. He says, good. Well, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. I love the way Jesus dealt with her because he didn't give her, he didn't give her um, seven, you know, um, seven rules of chastity. How to handle sexuality. He, and, he, and he could have. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with books like that. That's good. He, he, but he didn't say, oh, he, you know, here's a set of rules or here's the address of Adulterers Anonymous. You know, you need to go every week to them. And, and, and maybe she did. And, and they're good things as well. Uh, but he, and he didn't say, here's Ten Commandments. Recite them every day for ten days and you'll be free of your sin and your, and your issues. No, no, he didn't say that because Jesus understood the truth about grace, folks. You've got to understand the truth about grace. Here's the, here's the clutch point. You've got to grab it. That is the truth. Truth, grace is when true grace is shown, it can impact the person's life so much that it brings transformation in the heart and the life of that person. Grace shown to a person can build a loyalty in that person's heart that, that like no other spiritual truth. Because in Titus 2 11 and 12, the grace of this is what the verse says the grace of God has appeared that, that offers salvation to all people. He teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And the worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Another way that is put, another verse says, his kindness leads us to repentance. His kindness. If you, if you could truly grab tonight that if we were to, if if, if me or your, your sins or all my sins were to be recorded and shown tonight on that screen, um, um, the reality is is that it would be a shameful thing. It would be terrible. It would be just, you know, terrible. But the truth is he's wiped it clean. And if they run a, 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 under the forgiveness of Jesus, if they run a movie of my life, it would be clean. There wouldn't be anything to show. And if you can let that impact your heart tonight, that it's forgiven, it's dealt with, and God has got a better future for you, you know what? It draws us to him, hopefully, and not makes us run away from him. And hopefully it doesn't make us think, well, I can get away with this for a while and they'll just come and repent again. No, no, let his kindness lead you to repentance all the time. His kindness. It's not that we don't get disciplined in life. Our sin does discipline us. Consequences discipline us. And God reaches, he knows that, and God reaches his hand out in grace to us. It, it trains us and helps us to say no to temptation. And every time morality is taught in the New Testament, you know, I see that it's not taught in the context of rules. It's taught in the context of grace. Example being, it says in Scripture, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Live holy as Christ has made you holy. Be generous because Christ has made you rich, um, who was made rich himself himself poor, that you may be made rich, sorry. Husband, love your wives, not because you have to, but because Christ loves you. Can you see that? Or love your wife or love your husband because you've got to do that. That's the rules of the game. No, no, it's because Christ loved you that makes it possible. Can I have the team up? Thanks, guys. See, every time Jesus teaches about, about lifestyle in the New Testament, it's not you have to do this, but here's the grace of God. Here's God's mercy. 
meditated on it so your heart can be changed, that you can you now want to honor God and allow um, in your hearts a loyalty to Him. And maybe may His grace draw us to Himself, not push us away. Can we stand tonight? We're going to finish with a closing song and just for a moment worship Him.